And I want to invite you just to ask God right now. There in your own place, in your own hearts. To keep moving and working in you. Ask the Spirit of God to open your heart and open your mind. So that the Word can come in. Go deep in you today. And transform you. Maybe for some of you, you need to be saved today. For others of us, we desperately want to grow in Christ-likeness. Just talk to the Lord right now. Oh, Father, we could never thank you and praise you and worship you enough for your amazing love for us that you would send your son some 2,000 years ago to be born of a virgin and ultimately grow up and go to a cross to pay the price for our sin, to redeem us and to reconcile us back to you, O Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, that the grave could not keep you. The grave could not hold you. You rose in power on the third day. You are our risen King, our living Savior, our Emmanuel, who has come to reside in us. And we worship you, King Jesus. We worship you. We bow our hearts before you. We humble ourselves. And we say, we need you. We need you right now. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place as we sing. And may the words of your servant not be implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that the faith of the saints here at JICF would not rest in the wisdom of man, but solely in the power of God for your glory and your glory alone. And all God's people said, amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Well, good morning, JICF. Three days away from Christmas Day. It's awesome to see a full house today. Not everybody's traveling. If you're a first-time visitor, welcome. We're so glad you're with us today, worshiping with us here at JICF. Welcome, and for all of those who are Regulars, it's good to see everybody today in the house of the Lord. And a special happy Mother's Day to our Indonesian moms. It is uh, Indonesian Mother's Day today, so moms, God bless you. Uh, may you continue to be a blessing in your families, and uh, we're so grateful for you, and I know your respective families are so grateful for you. This morning we're going to be talking about Emmanuel in me from Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Emmanuel in me is the title of our sermon today from Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And before we get into the text, just want to present to you some statistics about Christmas, at least in the United States where I'm from. And these statistics were taken by Pew Research back in 2017. And here's what their findings were. 
90% of Americans celebrate Christmas. 40, so most of the population, most of Americans celebrate Christmas. 40% of, 46% of Americans say they celebrate Christmas as primarily a religious holiday rather than cultural. It's down from 51% in 2013. So the majority of Americans celebrate Christmas, what that statistic tells us, as a cultural holiday. Okay, As a cultural, merely a cultural holiday. Nothing religious about it. And the largest group of Americans, millennials, ages 25 to 39, the statistics found out that they are much less likely than any other adults in America to say that they celebrate Christmas as a religious holiday. 56% of American adults say that religious aspects of Christmas are less emphasized in American society now compared to in the past. I can attest to that. Yeah, um, there was a lot more emphasis on the real reason for the season when I was young and growing up compared to now. There's a lot of emphasis on Santa Claus, at least where I'm from. Maybe not so much here in Indonesia. A lot of emphasis on buying and exchanging gifts. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But so often it seems like we get so caught up in buying and exchanging gifts that we forget the real reason for the season. We get very caught up in gathering together. And we're not saying family gatherings are bad. They're great. God's grace that we have family. We can gather with family. But we can get so caught up in family gatherings, in getting together with friends, in eating a Christmas dinner that we forget the real reason for the season. We can get so busy in doing religious activity. Even those in local churches can get so busy in religious activity and all the activities surrounding Christmas that we can forget the real reason for the season. Some people can get so excited about going on vacation with their families and friends that, again, we fail to remember the real reason why we celebrate Christmas. I found this quote. A Catholic priest in Northern Ireland recently suggested that Christians abandon the word Christmas completely because the holiday has been hijacked by secular traditions that focus on Santa, reindeer, and candy canes. This Catholic priest in Northern Ireland said, we've lost Christmas just like we lost Easter and should abandon the word completely. The priest told local media, for many people, God is just a word representing someone to blame in their calamity or a crutch to lean on in a time of distress. The reality is that Christmas it no longer means Christmas. I'm not saying we should abandon the word Christmas. I'm not agreeing with that. But I do sense and can feel um, what, where he's coming from, that the real reason for the season has been abandoned. We've taken our focus and eyes and minds off of why we celebrate Christmas. So that begs the question, what or who is the reason for the season? Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Reading from the English Standard Version of God's Word, the Bible says, She will bear a son, and you shall, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The context of our text for this morning is Joseph, who the Bible says 
um, was betrothed to Mary and married to Joseph. That means they were engaged. They had all already gone through a legal process of, of being betrothed to one another. There was a, a commitment there, and um, they were not under one roof yet. They had not consummated the marriage yet, but they were calling one another husband and wife, and it would have been uh, against the law against Jewish law for them, of course, to have sexual relationship with one another and with anyone else during the time of betrothal. Well, all of a sudden, Joseph finds out that Mary, whom he is betrothed to, is pregnant. Is pregnant. And the Bible tells us that he was going to divorce her quietly. He was going to act in a very gentleman-like way. But try and imagine how Joseph must have felt in the bewilderment state that he was in. The Bible says, though, in verse 20, as he considered all these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And we know from Luke's gospel that that was the angel Gabriel that appeared to Joseph in that dream. And Gabriel told to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So you do not need to worry. And we know the rest of the story. He did not divorce her. And Gabriel goes on to tell Joseph just who this baby in Mary's womb actually is. Just as Johanna gave reference to earlier, his name will be called Jesus, which means the Lord who saves. And his name also will be called Emmanuel. Who or what is the reason for the season, beloved? The reason for the season is Jesus. Amen? The reason for life itself is Jesus Christ. And I want us to see from this text two truths that I hope will be of benefit and a blessing for all of us today. And the first truth that I want to see from this text is that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Who is his people? It is everybody that has called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Amen? Doesn't matter where you're from. God is not a uh, selector of persons. He loves all people. He loves Indonesians. He loves Chinese. He loves Americans. He loves Africans. He loves all people. And what Jesus did on the cross and with his resurrection is sufficient to save anyone who will call upon him in repentance and faith. Amen? Therefore, Jesus, as Paul wrote in Colossians 1, verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is our hope of glory. Amen? Without Jesus, we have no hope. We are helpless. We are hopeless without Jesus. And you say, Jonathan, why do you say that? Well, let the Bible speak for itself. The Bible says about us, says about man, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, before verse 23, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, in part A, for the wages of sin is death. If you work at a job and you work the whole month, what are you worthy to receive at the end of the month? A paycheck, a salary, right? 
What has our rebellion and disobedience against holy God earned for us? We have earned separation from Him, the Almighty One who is holy. The Bible says in Proverbs 11, 21a, Be assured an evil person will not go unpunished. God is absolutely love, but God is also absolutely holy, beloved. Because God is holy, He is just. And He will not tolerate sin. And there must be a punishment for sin. If he was just to allow sin to be, bre- to be brushed away and to turn his back, and he was not to punish and condemn, then he would fail to be holy. And if he failed to be holy, he would fail to be God. But praise be to God, he is not that way. Our God is just, and he has punished sin. Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He is the righteous judge. But praise be to God, the punishment, the condemnation for sin fell upon whom, church? Fell upon Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, He made God made him him is Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him in Christ we might become the righteousness of God Jesus Christ born of a virgin Jesus lived a perfect life he was born without sin because he, he himself, the baby that was placed in Mary's womb, was not from consummation between a sinful male and a sinful woman. Unlike David in Psalm 51, he said, in his mother's womb he was a sinner. Not so with Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit put him there. And Jesus was born, and Jesus grew up. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted, in the book of Hebrews, every way that we were, but yet he was without sin. Amen? Jesus never sinned. And ultimately, Jesus, in obedience to the Father, went to an old rugged cross. And on that cross, he took on your sin and mine. There was a great exchange that happened. We should have been there. We have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We have rebelled against Him. But God in His great love put our sin on His Son there on the cross. And not only, and then what comes with the sin, what came with the sin that Jesus bore for us was the wrath of God, the full fury of holy God, punishment against sin fell upon Jesus. And why do you think Jesus, the capillaries in his forehead were bursting like like sweat, like blood coming down from him there in the Garden of Eden? It was because he was going to take on our sin, that which he hated. And during his time on the cross in taking our sin, he would incur the wrath of the Father 
And there would be a separation between him and his father during that time that he was taking on our sins. So that in him we might be able to be made right with holy God. Amen, church? We can have the righteousness of God imputed upon us because of what Jesus did on the cross. The grave could not keep him down. He rose in power on the third day. And the Bible says in Romans 5.8, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in rebellion against him, this is how much God loves us. You would think it might be a little easier to make a great sacrifice for someone who loves us, who treats us with honor and respect. Jesus did it for all of us who are in open rebellion against him. What a love. And how do we respond to such a love? How do we respond to a Savior who died to save us from our sins? Let me bring us back to Acts chapter 16 and verses 29 through 31. The context here, Paul and Silas were in prison in the city of Philippi. They're in the region of Macedonia. And they were preaching the gospel. And Paul had cast a demon out of a fortune teller, a young girl who was being used by men to tell the fortune of others around them. And they were making money off her. And Paul cast the demon, the evil spirit, out of her. And Paul and Silas were eventually thrown into prison. And there they were praising God and singing hymns to him. And all of a sudden, an earthquake came upon that place and the doors of the cells were open. The shackles on the hands of the prisoners were loosened. And the jailer was awakened, and he saw what happened, and in fear and in panic, he was about to take his own life because the prisoners were about to flee. And Paul and Saul said, whoa, we're all still here. Don't do it. Don't take your own life. And in verse 29, the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I believe it's the greatest question we could ever ask. What must I do to be saved? Jesus died for our sins and rose on the third day to prove that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah. There is salvation in no one else. There's no name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through faith in Jesus Christ. So what is our response? How can we sinful people be saved from the wrath of God and be reunited with him in a loving fellowship that lasts for eternity. Paul answered, Silas answered that man and said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Amen? What is our response to what God has done for us in and through his son, Jesus Christ? It is first to repent, beloved. 
Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. To receive God's gift of salvation. Friends, we are going one way. We are living according to our own ways. Maybe we think with our good deeds, with our church attendance, maybe, maybe even serving in the church, that we can save ourselves, that God might look down upon us and grant us salvation. No, that's not how it happens. To repent means to return from my sin, to turn from what I think I can do to earn my salvation, to turn from that and to turn to Jesus and put our only trust in him and his finished work on the cross and his resurrection on the third day for our salvation. Amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I want to ask you, beloved, here today, maybe you've been in church for many years. Maybe you were like me and have been in church ever since you can remember. You went to Sunday school. You were involved in youth. You were even involved maybe in campus ministry. But have you truly turned from your sins and placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And have you committed to following him in faithful obedience? About 18 years ago, the Lord saved me. And he made me realize that even though I was born in a Christian family and I went to church and I believed in my mind cognitively that that there was salvation in no one else, I believed Jesus died for me. I knew I was, was a sinner. I knew he rose on the third day to prove that he's Lord of Lord and King of Kings. But I had never truly given my life away to him. I'd never surrendered myself and said, I want to do away with low living. I want to do away with what the world says is right and what will make you happy. And that night in my apartment in Columbus, Ohio, 18 years ago, the good Lord brought me to John 3.16. And it came alive in me like never before that God would love me After all that I had done in rebellion against him, all the evil that I had done in trying to think that I could find hope and peace and satisfaction in other things and in other places. And that night, God's Spirit and God's Word touched me and broke me. And I wept before holy God. And I said, Lord, please forgive me. I don't want to keep living this way anymore. I give you my life, Lord Jesus. I am yours. Thank you for saving me. And I commit my life to follow you. And it changed my life. Have you had that transformation, that change happen in you, beloved? If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now and quickening you unto salvation, you realize, I've heard this all my life, but I'm lost. Right now, just in your heart of hearts, you bow your life to Jesus. 
you repent of your sins? And you say, Jesus, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you for my salvation. I'm trusting you for the forgiveness of my sins. Not me anymore, only you. And I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to cling on to you the rest of my days and throughout all eternity. You do that right now. The invitation is open. And friends, when we truly put our trust in Jesus and what he's done for us, John, the apostle, wrote in 1 John 5.13, he said, I, wrote these, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Friends, we can have hope as followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? We can know. That word believe in the original language, if we examine the grammar there in the Greek, that word believe is, it indicates to us an ongoing belief. So do I believe, I believe that there is a time when the Lord touches us like he touched me 18 years ago and I repented of my sins and I put my faith in him and I was saved on that night. If I would have died from then until now, I believe I'd be in heaven. But it's not just a one-time belief. Brothers and sisters, it's a daily belief. It's a moment by moment depending upon Christ for everything. And when we do that, when we are daily trusting in him and not in our own strength, our own power, our own intellect, our resources, our connections and networks, we're trusting in Jesus for his salvation. We're trusting in Jesus for his help in our jobs, in our studies, in all and everything we do. Our life is about Jesus. He's on the throne of our life. Then we may know that we have eternal life. Not maybe, not I hope so. We can know. And the Spirit of God, the Bible says, will testify that we are children of God and we can call the Father Abba. Do you have that security of salvation today? I pray that all of you do. For those of us who do, do you know that he, Emmanuel, dwells inside of you? Second truth that I want us to see from this text, Jesus came to dwell inside his people. Amen? God is a transcendent God. He is over all things. He is sovereign over every single thing in the universe. Nothing happens outside of his control, but he is imminent as well. He is involved in everything. He's involved in every detail of our life. He, the God of the universe, lives in us who have repented of our sins and placed our faith in Jesus Christ, his son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. Quoted from Isaiah 7.14. And Jesus, at the end of the Great Commission, Matthew's version of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 20b, after he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. He then went on to say and gave us a great promise. I am with you always even to the end of the age. How is Jesus with us? 
How is the God of the universe with us? He is with us and he is in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to look at John 14, verses 15 through 24. And Jesus here teaches us on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Man, if we had time, we would just we could go through John 14 and through 16. Great teaching on the Holy Spirit and how Jesus would not leave us as orphans. I do want to read verses 15 through 24 for us briefly. How Emmanuel is in us, in the third person of the Trinity, in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, beginning in John 14 in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Verse going on in verse 20 highlighted this so important in that day you will know that i am in my father and you in me and i in you do you know that the spiritual presence of the lord jesus christ is in you today Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Has the Father and the Son come and made their home in your heart? In the person of the Holy Spirit? I don't know about you, um, but in my church upbringing and background, I did not hear much teaching, not near as much teaching on the Holy Spirit as I did on Jesus, on the Father, on the church, on sin. I, I just didn't hear about that. And, and, and to me, as a little boy growing up, it was like the, the third person of the Trinity was like kind of something mystic. But praise God, my thoughts on that have changed over time. As I have delved into God's Word and experienced in my own life the power of the Holy Spirit in me. Friends, dear fellow Christians, we cannot live the Christian life without 
relying on the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in us. We cannot do it. We cannot live the Christian life without a daily dependence upon the person of the Holy Spirit to empower us to live out the commands of God and to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I believe in verse 20 of our text when in chapter four, John 14 and verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Jesus is referencing to Pentecost. Jesus is referencing what we study in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came down upon the early believers and consumed them. And Jesus told them in Acts 1.8, before he ascended back to the right hand of the Father in heaven, he told them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit empowered the early believers. The Holy Spirit, beloved, empowers us to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Amen? Hello? Amen? We cannot do it. Abide in me and I in you, Jesus said in John 15, apart from me you can do nothing. I, I have saved you and commissioned you to go and bear fruit. Can we bear fruit in our own might, trusting in our own strength, our own power? We cannot. But the key is we're abiding in Christ. We're so connected to Jesus that as we're connected to Jesus, His Spirit in us is producing the fruit to point to Him for whose glory? His glory, not ours. And the early church got that. And that's why there was so much fruit being produced. Yes, God was inaugurating the birth of His church. Yes, we get that. But friends, I believe, and you may disagree with me, and that's okay. Everything that is written in this Word can still happen today. And you may disagree with me, and that's okay. I used to not agree with that. But I don't anymore. Because the Holy Spirit is at work. Is He at work in you? Dear Christian, are you living the Holy Spirit-empowered life? Are you living the Holy Spirit-empowered life? Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That word debauchery in the, in the original text means it's uselessness. It's senseless living. Someone who's drunk on wine is out of control, and they're, they're out of their senses. But Paul said, gave the imperative, the command, be filled with the Spirit. That word be filled is an imperative, it's a command, and it is in the present tense. It is ongoing. 
Daily be being filled. Daily be under the control. Daily be empowered by the Spirit of God, Christian. Christ wants to live His life out through us. But how often are we worried and fearful and intimidated and anxious and absolutely powerless. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Verse 30. Paul was talking to his disciple. He was talking to his disciples. Come to me, all who are weary and laden. He's talking to his disciples. But how often are we wearied and we are, we are burdened as those who are truly trusting in the Savior for our salvation, but are we trusting Him in our day-to-day life? Are we trusting Him even when our business maybe not be going so well? Are we trusting Him, teachers, those of us who are teachers, when we, we have a student or two that we really are struggling with, we don't know what to do? Those of us who are employees, when we have demands and deadlines and we're thinking, how can I get it done? And sometimes maybe we're running around, the idiom is, like a chicken with its head cut off. Instead of saying, Jesus, I can't do it. You've got to take over. Help me. And he will. Friends, I am a very structured, systematic, very well-planned person. And even as a believer for 18 years, and I'm not saying we shouldn't plan, biblical to plan, but I have planned everything out. I have been so, the Indonesian word, so kaku so many times, so stiff and wooden. And I've kept God in this box and God, through my wife, has often tried to remind me of that. But God has been teaching me about the secret to Christian living. It's allowing the Spirit of God to take over. The Spirit of God to take over. And when we do, not that it's easy and everything is peachy cream, but there is rest and there is peace and there is joy. Amen? Even in the midst of the battle. How do we as Christians Live the Holy Spirit-empowered life. Emmanuel in us, doing the work in and through us. And then when he says, go, we go. It doesn't mean that we're totally passive. Let me, let me give a footnote. doesn't mean that we're totally passive, but we're yielded to his leadership in our life. And man, when he says, go and do this, I mean, we do it, we obey, and we do it with excellence for his glory. 
but it's letting the Spirit of God take over. How do we live this Holy Spirit-empowered life? Very quickly. First, we ask. We ask. Jesus taught us in Luke 11, verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Again, the context is believers. Previously in Luke 10, He'd already commissioned out the 72 to go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and heal the sick and cast out demons. He's talking to believers. He's talking to his followers. At the moment we truly repent and believe, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in us. Amen? Emmanuel comes to live inside of us. But daily, we need to be asking the Father, Father, oh, may your Spirit Lead me today. May your spirit guide me today. Would you give me a fresh infilling and anointing today? Jesus teaches us to ask. Are you asking for that? Are you asking for that? Ask the Father for the Spirit's guidance, the Spirit's leadership, the Spirit's empowerment for your life every day. Secondly, we must surrender. We must daily be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our life. Jesus said in Luke 9, verse 23, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It is a daily dying to self. Galatians 2.20, Paul wrote, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It is a daily crucifying of my will for God's will. We have to be surrendered. I've struggled with this lately. Well, in the past year or so. I was working at a job. If you want to talk about salary, you want to talk about benefits, it's the best I've ever ever known or had, highest position ever had. But God, there was such an uneasiness in me. There was such an uneasiness in me, and God began speaking to me through his word that he wanted me fully back, focused 100% in preaching and teaching the word of God and making disciples. And we struggled. We struggled for about a year. But Lord, we do that. We give that up. We still got, I've still got mouths to feed. I've got two young children. They've got school. I'm a foreigner living in this country. How's this going to work? But finally, Yellen agreed, Brennan agreed, Gracie agreed, and I gave a six month resi- uh, my six-month notice back at the beginning of this year. I finished up at that job at the end of June to fully focus on the proclamation of the Word of God wherever I can do that. Not knowing from a human standpoint how we're going to survive. You say, John, that was reckless. No, it wasn't reckless. We battled for about a year. We involved people that we know are mature, 
Christians who walk with Jesus who also supported us. My dad passed away end of September. Living by faith day by day. I mean, and it's been hard. Like, I want to surrender and say, okay, God, I know you've got me. But in one sense, it's kind of like, man, I hope something else opens up. I hope, I hope a Christian school will come calling or they might accept me or something. And so, you know, people would ask me, John, what are you doing? Well, for now, in transition, you know, I'm just sharing the word wherever I can. And, but I'd use that word transition. Because we have needs, guys. We've got to feed our kids. got to send them to school. And I've struggled with this really surrendering to what God had told me to do. And I'd been praying for our youngest child's tuition for about three or four months, just been praying. I got it, Lord, I got I get, I to pay her tuition, 1st of January, 2020, her quarterly tuition. Told nobody else except the Heavenly Father. Praying and praying and praying. About three or four weeks ago, I needed to take some money out of the ATM because I only had about 5,000 rupee in my wallet. Went to take some money out of the ATM. And I um, was going to take out just a, a small amount. And to my surprise, the total that was in my account was way more than, than what should have been there. And immediately tears flooded my eyes because I knew Father had provided for our daughter's tuition. I took the money. I went down the steps, found the nearest men's restroom, went in the stall, locked the door, got on my knees, and worshiped God. And I thanked him. Jehovah, Jireh, you have provided. I went back up the stairs to where my wife was. I told her what happened. She said, who transferred us the money? I said, well, of course, it's from the Lord. But let's see who the human agent was. <laughs> and so I opened Click BCA. Curiosity always kills the cat. Open Click BCA, and, you know, usually, you know, there's always the, the account number and then the person's name there as well. Well, the account number of the person who made the transfer the account number was there, but the name was not there. And by the way, the amount to cover our daughter's tuition was covered plus about 700 more dollars. And you know when you make a transfer, there's a section you can make a note, like, you know, electricity bill, January 2020. Guess what word was there in the note in all capital letters? Surrender. Surrender. That was in the note. And finally I said, okay, Lord, I surrender. I don't have a job in a foreign country, but you've told me to proclaim your word wherever I can, preach the gospel, make disciples. I am yours. It's not easy. Man, it's not easy. But the Lord will help us. And it's not a one-time deal. It's a daily surrender. 
But man, when we do, the power of the Holy Spirit will be in us. And I'm telling you, since that day, it wasn't just about the money, but how God took care of our family. My trust has increased. Thirdly, we just got to trust Him. God is for us, brothers and sisters. He loves us more than we will ever understand as His beloved children. Just some verses for us that bless me recently. Psalm 910, And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Amen? Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. Amen? Jeremiah 17, verses 7 through 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Amen? Do you believe that? Man, he is with us. He is for us. His plans for us are good. And he'll give us everything we need as long as we are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amen? He will provide what we need to make his son known. We don't have to worry about that. That's God's business, not ours. Our business is to seek his kingdom to seek his rule and reign in our own lives personally. And as an overflow of that, we are bringing his rule and reign in us where we go. Amen? And then when he speaks, and he's already spoken in his word, we do what his word says. And when the Spirit of God speaks in our heart, I want you to bless that person. But Lord, i gotta, I got to pay these bills off, and I'm not going to have enough. Well, I'm telling you, I want you to bless that person. We do it in obedience. God will take care of us. We obey. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, 23. This verse has come alive to me as well as of recent. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He will come and tabernacle in us. Amen? Even when it doesn't make sense, we obey. We obey. And we obey not out of duty. We obey out of delight. Amen? It is our way to say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for sending your sons to save me from my sin. Thank you for quickening me unto salvation. Thank you for the faith that you gave me to put my trust in your son. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my job. Thank you for all the opportunities and experiences that you've given me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we do that through our obedience. Emmanuel is in us. 
Is he in you, dear friend? Praise God if he is. Render yourself to the Spirit's leadership in your life day by day. If you're not certain, what a better time to give your life away to Jesus. Christmas 2019. God loved you so much that he sent his son so that you wouldn't perish, but that you might have eternal life. That's how much the Father's love is for each and every one of us, for all of his creation. Friends, Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen? Jesus is the reason for the season, and Jesus is the reason for life itself. Jesus is the reason for life itself. I don't know where I'd be without Jesus. Can you say the same thing? Amen? I don't know where I would be. And it is such a wonderful life, full of joy, full of hope, full of excitement, full of stability because he's got us. When we can say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the greatest gift known to man, the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for your obedience to the Father to go to that cross despite all the shame and suffering our sins being upon you you're incurring the wrath of God you did it for us you died for our sins but the grave couldn't keep you down death couldn't hold you you rose on the third day and you are a living Savior. And in you, there is salvation. There is forgiveness of sins. There is hope for eternity. And I pray, Lord Jesus, if there is anyone here right now who is yet to turn from their sins in repentance and put their trust in you and in you alone, Lord Jesus, that they might do that. They wouldn't wait another moment. They wouldn't wait another day. And they could say, Christ in me, the hope of glory. They can say, Emmanuel is in me. Oh God, would you touch any dear friend that's here who's yet, who's yet to be in Christ. May today be the day of salvation for them. Lord, for others of us who are in you, Lord Jesus, help us not to rely upon our own strength and power and abilities and networks and connections and resources, but to rely upon you, 
you who are alive in us, you who have come to make your home in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And I ask, Father, that each and every one of us who are in Christ Jesus, from this day forward, we would live the Holy Spirit-empowered life. That we can really say, it's not a burden. The yoke is light. Because Jesus has taken the wheel. Jesus is in charge. I just abide in Him. And where He says go, we go. When He says stay still, we stay still. And whatever tasks that You give us, we will obey and we will do it with excellence as unto You and not unto man. So that You might be glorified through us. Give us power to be Your witnesses in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our big families, in our workplaces, in our social settings, in our schools, on our campuses, wherever we are. Give us power to share and show the love of Jesus Christ to those who need it. Help us this Christmas 2019 to do just that. To show the world Emmanuel has come. Help us, O oh Lord. Help us here at JSCF. In Jesus' name we pray and we give thanks. Amen.